Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. He has a fourth degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and a professional actor starring some of the most successful TV shows and movies for over the past 36 years. Welcome to the show, the amazing Sean Patrick Flannery. Hello, sir. How you doing, brother? So, man, number one, I've been a fan of yours in more ways than one. I first came upon you in your career in uh, Young Indiana Jones back in the day and Powder as well. But I'd like to go into your martial art beginnings. You started martial arts at a young age, I believe karate. What inevitably drew you to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? How'd you get started with that? I started when I was nine. I drifted through every martial art, including some made-up shit. Okay. Um, my first experience in martial arts was at a McDojo. It was right next to a Piggly Wiggly. If you're from the South, you know what that is. <laughs> and uh, I wish to this day I remember the exact name, but it was like, Sang Dong something. It, it, it was some made up. Series. Oh no! Yeah, it was. But uh, like Rex Quando, no. Yeah, almost. It really was. You know, and and the sensei had a huge beer belly. Could hardly lift his leg above his waist. And I even knew at the time. You know, when I was nine years old, I'm like, man, this this guy couldn't go up a flight of stairs without getting gassed out. So uh, you know, your your instincts as a kid are. You know, you want to believe this guy's lethal, but your instincts are going, ah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure my dad would beat his ass. And, uh, <laughs> oh. uh, and I was right. But anyway, when Hickson closed his Pico Academy. Oh, yes. yes. It was like 98 or 99. One of those. Another thing. So that I've spoken to Henry Aikens. I'm like, dude, when, what year did we actually start the Palisades? Because I either started in one of those years, but I don't even... And so long ago, I wish I knew. So it's whenever Hickson went to the Palisades, he closed the Pico Academy down and he was in the Palisades and he was renting out mat space because he was building out his Wilshire location. Okay. And so Jerry Banks had a class going on and they started putting out mats on the hardwood floors. And I saw the the patch and the second name was Gracie. You know, the first name was uh, R-I-C-K-S-O-N, probably some plumber that was partnered with uh, Hoist Gracie. And I asked, I said, you know, are you guys any relation to Hoist Gracie? And he goes, yeah, you know, he's my brother. I was like, what? You're brothers with the great Hoist? I had no idea who I was talking to. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like uh, David Jordan. And you're asking Michael, are you brothers to the great David Jordan? And he's like, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, and it ended up being Hickson. And he threw me a gee. I told him, I said, you know, ever since I saw this on TV, you know, five years ago or whatever it was at the time, I've always wanted to train it. But, you know, there was no, I certainly didn't have internet. Nobody had websites back oh, then. Yeah. He, he threw me a gi and he said, come on, man, we're going to train tonight. Now we did a, a brief warm up, and then we sparred. And uh, he said, pick somebody, same size, same shape. We're going to do some spa. And I picked this dude across the way. It was a blue belt because I knew it was white, blue, purple, brown, black. I knew blue was the first colored belt you got. And in every other martial art, Taekwondo, for example, which I trained, I knew your first belt was yellow. I mean, you could walk in off the street and you'd give a yellow belt a handful. As a matter of fact, if you were more athletic, you'd probably win. Yeah. And I figured this guy was 135 pounds soaking wet. I've been 170, 168 my whole adult life. And I thought, man, if this guy can hold me at bay, I'll be blown away. Well, we all know how the story finishes. You know, he choked me, arm locked me, took my back, swept me, mounted me. I I was a helpless infant and I had no recipe for how to make sure it didn't happen again. And he just did it at will over and over again. That was Henry's little brother, Matt Akins, 
Uh, yeah. And who's still a very dear friend of mine today. And we joke about it. I mean, he just absolutely in a, in a very controlled manner, just completely dismantled me. And the martial arts clouds parted, the truth was revealed and I was blown away. And I became completely obsessed with jujitsu after that day, because I did not have an answer. I had an answer for every other martial art I walked in on, on my day one. I had an answer. I was like, eh, this guy's in for a fight. Maybe he'll beat me because he's more technical, but maybe he won't. I wasn't even in the ballpark of having a molecule of hope with jujitsu. Unreal. And I own a Brazilian jujitsu school in Illinois. And my experience with jujitsu with people starting is, eh, it's not for me or where's this been my whole life? There's no really real gray area. Your path, what was that from white to black belt for you? I mean, it was a, it was complete immersion. You know, the best way to learn a language, a second language, you immerse yourself in it. I mean, when I say I did some days five hours a day at Hickson's, I'm not exaggerating. I would go to the morning class, do an hour class, do the hour open mat after that, then do an hour private, and then come back for the night class and do the hour open mat. I'm not kidding. And I did that at the minimum five days a week. And I would always go to the weekend classes as well. So it's really a little bit unfair when you know you say you know because I competed in every tournament that was around back then. When you say okay, well it took you whatever it took me a year to get a blue belt, you know, and people say well that's really quick or that's a long time. Realistically, I probably had four times the mat hours, so I was probably a little bit sandbaggy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's really it's it's a mathematical equation. I wasn't any prodigy. I just invested. I was competing against guys most likely that had half the mat hours and you get out what you put in. You know, I was completely obsessed for 10 years with being selfish. And the way I look at it, you know, when you compete, it's this, you take the martial art and you're stingy. And if you want to be the best competitor, that's the way to do it. Now, the second half of my career is just this. It's like, okay, okay. All those days when somebody said, Flannery, that omoplata sweep that you hit me with, will you show it to me? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. After class, man, after class, I was out the door. I wouldn't show you anything. But now, now it's like, okay, okay, I saw you do something wrong. Bring it in and let's workshop this. Here are the two outcome determining details that you're missing. This is the 10% you're missing that will make 100% of the difference. And I willingly show it and watch the game transform. But that's the difference between being a selfish competitor and being a giving coach. And I, I got to say with kids, kids are really what brought it out of me. I teach my kids in the kids class and I give 100% of everything. You know, things that even as a purple belt that I should have known as a white belt that came to me late. But I'm like, why, why was this detail never clear to me? You know, now they understand it at white belt. So there is no possibility that they're going to discard a technique because it doesn't work because it's inclusive of all of those minuscule details that give them the confidence to keep repping it, that it's going to work. And I think that's such an interesting aspect because you also have a unique perspective on this whole martial arts and jujitsu journey. You had your main career, which can have crazy schedules. And you even like in 2003 took time off, like your busy shooting schedule to compete and put that in. And I felt that over the years being an instructor and things like that, there is a degree, like I, I feel kind of selfish right now. You have to be to get the time on the mat. Can you go into what's that like? Like having such a busy, crazy schedule and just making it go right to get in and get on the mat. Well, I'll tell you, you know, you, 
you have hard decisions every moment in life. And I, I tell this to my students, I tell it to my kids all the time. Daddy made a lot of bad business decisions in favor of jujitsu. Do you know how many of those I regret? Zero. Wow. I regret zero. It's profound, man. W w w I, that, that's no joke. Could I potentially be an A-list actor right now? I'm not kidding when I say most likely. I, I probably could. Hell yeah. But really, my passion was on the jujitsu mat. And I got to tell you, what jujitsu has given me is better than any suitcase, and I'm not exaggerating, of $100 million cash. If you offered it to me, to, here, here it is right here. I retired this, but this is my original black belt. Oh, wow. You offered me $100 million in cash for this, and every relationship, every ounce of confidence, every bit of self-esteem, every, every uh, uh, ability to defend myself and to give some legacy to my kids, it's laughably lopsided. I, I, I wouldn't even contemplate it. And that's not me exaggerating. It truly is. This is the most important legacy that I'll leave behind to my kids. And when my kid goes out and he's on the prom and he takes his girlfriend out and somebody touches her in an inappropriate way, his no will contain a lot more than just hope. He will yes. have the ability to ensure that nothing happens. And I got to tell you, it is as important as math and reading and writing in a child's life. The ability to two things, swim. You know, sometimes you meet a kid that can't swim. You're like, wow. Yeah. Or adults. <laughs> yeah, adults. Well, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm probably going to offend some people, but shitty parents. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's no different to me than putting your kid out in the world without being able to do simple fundamental math. You have to be able to swim. There's going to be a time where the ability to swim will save your life or somebody else's. Same thing in self-defense. I'm not saying you have to compete in the worlds. You don't have to do IBJJF tournaments, but you have to have the ability to make sure that somebody does not take something from you. Because more often than not, it's going to be your will. You're inevitably, somebody's going to stand up. And you know what it does when you have the ability to defend yourself? It lets you stand up off your bar stool and speak your mind. It gives you the freedom to yeah. say exactly what you feel. I always meet people, and if you run an academy, you have the same thing. Occasionally, you'll meet a guy who'll come in, he's 35 years old, and he wants to learn how to fight. And you start talking to him, and he's like, whoa, no, I've never been in a fight ever. And you're like, wow, how, how did you go 35 years without a single yeah. blow to the face? Or you know how you did it? Because you stayed on your bar stool every moment of your life. Every single time, there was a reason to stand up and go, whoa, 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 brother. You didn't. That's the only way. Now, look, maybe a one out of a billion, you can navigate in such a way that that, would, that opportunity would never happen. It certainly wasn't available in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in, yeah. I, I don't know, every single year, there's 10 moments where you have to stop something from going haywire. Yeah. And the only time that I meet a guy, the only way that he could go through life without ever having getting swung on or swung on another person is if you just remain calm at every possible conflict. And I don't want that for people. Yeah, they're always getting walked over or something of that nature. And that's the other thing, too, that most people that do actually get in fights, it's emotion and heat of the moment. They've never been in a fight before. It blows my mind. I was a traveling musician professionally at the time, and I saw enough altercations to where I go, oh, sound mind enough to go, I'm not prepared for something like, I mean, I've had fights, but like the control, I had no control. I had no training. And it's a very therapeutic thing. And actually, guys, I do know have been in fights a lot, right? They wind up not doing fights anymore. Like it's like this atmosphere around you, that confidence. Can you go into that concept of it? Well, what you said is exactly factual. And I'll give you an analogy of what happens. You know, if you don't know how to fight, 
and a guy comes up into you in a bar, that's a big question. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm scared. There's fear. I can't back down in front of my friends, but I'm sort of mortified and petrified. And it manifests itself in this false bravado. Like, what? What? You want a piece of me? Look at it this way. When, you know, when you've spent 10, 5, 25 years on a mat trying to navigate your way to close the distance to clinch, take somebody down to the ground, navigate your way to their back and choke them unconscious. When you spent 25 years doing that against people that have spent 25 years trying to defend it, you know in a bar there's a microscopic possibility that you won't be able to do it. So you know how you, you react? You react as if it's a four-year-old kicking your shins. You look down and you're like, hey, buddy, what, what, what are you doing? Hey, come here. Where's your mom? Let's find where your mom is. Ow, ow. Relax. That's how you react. Because it is the same thing. When some jacked up juice head college dude's like, you want a piece of me? You're like, whoa, hey, brother, relax, man. You know, but when you're saying that, you're thinking immediate arm drag, immediate yeah. You, yeah, you're you're the, the back. You, you know, you, 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 you don't even think about it because you've done it 17 billion times. And that oh, nothing makes walking away from a fight easier than knowing you don't have to. And when you've done it every single day on the mat 25 times, it's not a question. You don't get riled up. You don't get emotional. You're literally thinking. Hell, I don't want my watch to get scratched, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, my chicken just got delivered. Could you put this in the window, keep it warm? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's just, it makes life so much simpler and easier. And less stress, and especially for the kids. Like you said, mentioning teaching kids. It's such an important thing, so they're not going through life bullied or feeling like they have to succumb to get through the day. You know, my son, we had his football banquet. My oldest son, Charlie, he's been training since he was four years old. So this was back when he was nine, the first mm. fight he ever got into. It was at our football banquet. And a kid uh, named Jeremiah, Charlie was 60 pounds at the time. And Jeremiah was about 120 pounds. It's no joke. He was a lineman. We were at the football banquet in a big field, like a sports sports complex with a sports bar. Mm. And Char Charlie, my oldest, came up to me a couple of days. He's like, Dad, Jeremiah says he wants to fight me. I'm like, I'll knock it off. Tell him to, tell him to knock it off. Charlie came back to me. He's like, Dad. I'm not kidding. He keeps saying he wants to fight me. What do I do? I'm like, and I walked over there and I said, Jeremiah, what, what's going on, man? Charlie says you want to fight him. He's like, well, no, you know, I mean, I just, I just know that he, you know, he does, uh, you know, that, that karate stuff. And anyway, I said, knock it off. Look, if you ever want to come over to the Academy, your mom can come and we'll show you what it's jujitsu. Actually, we'll show you what it is, but we're, we're not going to do it here. I turned and walked away. Charlie was just calm. He was coming up to me. Like, it's almost like, Hey, they're saying I can't take a sip of water. Where should I go for a sip of water? It's like, this guy wants to fight me. What do I do? I turned around. Jeremiah grabs him in a suplex. Oh. They, they, were on a, they were on a sand volleyball court. Thank God. <laughs> Suplexes him over his head. Charlie peels the gri grip, hip escapes, transitions to mount, and throws him in a gift wrap. And this kid's struggling his butt off. And I, I was walking away. I'm walking away, and I turn back to look. And Jeremiah has him suplex him. I immediately walked up. By the time I walked up, Charlie's got him in a gift room. Charlie's looking up. He's like, do I let him go, Dad? Or do I, do I hold him? I mean, just as calm as day. Because yeah. he's done it since he was four years old. Yeah. And I asked Jeremiah, I said, Jeremiah, do you, do you want him to let go? Yeah, okay, please let him go. I'm like, all right, let's go talk to your mom. And Charlie let him go. And Charlie went out there and started playing soccer with the kids. As if, as if it was a minor, minor hiccup in the moment. And Wow. Thank God he had that confidence to like, I mean, do I, do I do this? Do I let him, he keeps punching me in the arm and saying he wants to, 
it was it was almost like a mosquito, a gnat. Like, ow, wow, that's unbelievable. I don't say that in a bragging way, yeah. I say it, it. It was a perfect expression of absolute confidence and saying, "Do I do this to him? Because he keeps hitting me." And he did it with calm. And when it was over, it was just like, "Okay, where are my friends? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on the soccer field." Yeah, there's none of that traumatic fight because they're just used to that. And that's another thing. Like, how many other martial arts can you say? There's not many other martial arts you can say where you can 100% spar, 100% go for it. There's that many right there. Zero. It's all theoretical. And I got to tell you, that is what separates jujitsu from everything else mm. is you do it 100%. You know, there is no question. You know, when people say, well, if you did that, I'd punch you in the thorax and you'd die. Okay, okay, well. Yeah, I hate it. You know, yeah, punching okay. to the thorax has been legal in the UFC for years and years. Now, I think neck punches are illegal, but n nobody ever even got, they never even stopped the fight. We don't have to rely on you telling me what would happen. Yeah. Prove it. You know, that's a wonderful thing about, you know, coming up at Hickson's. If somebody walked in, they're like, okay, well, if you can do that, then do it. If you can pin me down and gouge my eyes, do it. Then you do it. Yeah. And you see, it's not in theory like, well, that would never work. It's like, okay, then close the distance to clinch and gouge my eyes. And, and the proof is in the pudding. There yep. is no, I would, if, if this, then it's like, okay, then let's see. And my red mat is no different. If somebody comes in with a wacky technique, then with let's workshop it. Let's see if it works. Yeah. Don't believe me when I go, well, that would never work in a, in a grappling sit. Man, let's check it out and see. And at the end of the day, right? If it's a technique of any style, any style, let alone jujitsu, if it's a technique, you can't use in self-defense is, is BS, bro. I mean, unless we're exactly. doing some fancy, you know, highlight reel, but it, you have to be able to use it in the street. And the best part I want to bring this up to you is one of my favorite things about jujitsu is it's more therapeutic than any pill or form of therapy you can get. And the funny thing about that is basically your best friends in life, you're simulating murder on each other, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my priestless church. It's my sanctuary. It's my psychiatrist couch. It's yeah. everything. I, I mean, some people do yoga, some people do a multitude of things that make their life better. Man, that does 27 things all balled up in one. That is irreplaceable in my life. And that's why some people would say, well, you, you wasted part of your career in doing that. Man, I didn't waste anything. It makes me better. It makes yeah. me a better father. It makes me a better husband. It has only been a net positive in my life. And you know, it's like one of the giant steps from childhood to adulthood is when you stop basing your value on material possessions and you do it on achievements mm. and betterment. And my God, that's uh, Bill Gates stuff. It's fat wallet stuff. I would not trade it for the world. Yeah, it's so true. It's true. And, and I, maybe that's, I mean, you do see the past like 10, 15 years, just the celebrity bandwagon, so to speak. Is that why you maybe think so many celebrities are getting into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? You know, look, I understand the appeal. I was what they call an early adopter. Um, I think it was me and Ed O'Neill. Yes. I, you know, yeah. I, I, you're my top two, I think of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and he started before me, but uh, I, I think it just took that long for people to find it. You know, wow. it, it's because I don't know anybody cut from my cloth that would try this and go, yeah, not for me. I, to me, that's just bizarre. That's like when somebody tries chocolate milk and they go, nah, it's not for me. I'm like, what? You know, what, what What kind of taste buds were you assigned at birth? It's just, it's just anathema to my values. I just don't, it doesn't compute to me. So I get it. And I think now with enough people doing it, 
people have kind of lost that whole like, ooh, I can't get bruised. Like, my God, if I told you how many movie sets I had makeup covering Guy Burn or whatever, uh, nobody's noticed it. It didn't yeah. ruin the shoot. I mean, if I walk in, they cover it with makeup. You, you, you don't see it. You know, even black eyes or something. It, it's 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 but but I can't relinquish that aspect of my life for I can't do a movie for two months and go, I, I'm not going to train for two months. I, I just no. can't. It's like saying, well, stop eating breakfast. Stop breathing air. I, I can't. I can't do it, you know, and I, it's never halted production. It's never slowed down production. It's only made me better. You know, the movie that I have right now, we shot it in Oklahoma City. It's out in theaters right now and you can stream it right now. The entire time I was nefarious. Yes, there, it's on the screen. I was training with uh, Rafael Lovato at his school. And one of the oh, best, yeah. yeah, I mean, one of my idols, the, the most decorated American jujitsu cat on the planet oh, Earth. Yeah. Um, and every every single night I had free time, I was at his academy, getting my ass beat. It was and it was a it was a glorious thing. Uh, and that's also another rarity, especially a lot of martial arts styles and schools can be very clicky or even culty. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you could pretty much for the most part travel anywhere on the planet. It's a world community. You could pop in. It could be any stature. It could be any experience level. I mean, how amazing is that aspect of it? Well, yeah, I don't travel without my belt, a gi, mm. and some no-gi stuff. I just don't do it, you know. And usually before I get on the plane, I've already Googled and I know where I'm going to train. I mean, I have never been unwelcomed when I walk into a place. Now, sometimes you go there and they're like, oh, that's the dude from Boondock. Yeah. And you're rolling and they're fresh and you're on your third roll and guys come up like, hey, you got another one? And you're like, oh, shit. You know, yes, I do. I know it's I yeah. You want to be the dude that, you know, dives on the Boondock, you know. But – it's not malicious. They're not trying to hurt you. Yeah. They're just, you know, like, ooh, I want to roll. I want to beat that guy that's, you know, I, I get it. You know, there's a competitive aspect, but I've never felt unwelcome. I mean, you get off the plane with a gi and a belt, you have 60 friends immediately. You walk in the door and they go, oh, shit. I mean, it's, it is a brethren. It is a universal brethren. You automatically yeah. become pre-approved when they know, oh, that dude's been in it for, you're welcome, welcome. Instant. I absolutely love that about it. And also, I believe you have stated in the past, like if you had gotten to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at a younger age, you would have 100% gone MMA style, right? Into UFC and... Yeah, I mean, that was really my heart and my love. Yeah, I don't see a scenario in which I wouldn't have pursued that. But when I discovered it, I mean, I was already 30, 32 years old when I started. You know, so, and now I've been training for 24 years, but if I would have found this, that's why I'm so jealous of the new generation. And when I see some of these young kids on Instagram doing highly technical things at oh, man. Yeah, eight yeah. years old, you know, and my own son, the stuff that he's doing, I'm like, oh my God, I would kill talking about a superpower. I mean, at that young age, it's, yeah. it's, there's not a, a physical intimidation worry in your being. It's just a, what a superpower, man. I'm a little jealous, but I'm very, very grateful to be able to leave that behind. And that's another interesting spec. You've been doing it for 24 years. Jiu-Jitsu has evolved so much. And I believe you also have another very good point, which I think is important, rediscovering the basics. Everybody's doing them barambolos and flying arm bars, but really refining to the next level, the basics. Can you kind of go into that aspect? Well, my heart and my love is old school Hickson, Henzo, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And I'm a big proponent of, you know, Padre Gracie came out of retirement and beat Buchecha 
with 100% fundamental day one jujitsu. And he made it look easy. I'm the first dude to tell you. I mean, right now, I've told my students for a long time, I said, when the fog of Barambolos and Worm Guard and bottom entry cross ashy clears, someone's going to rediscover this thing called the encapsulated guard. They're going to call it something new yeah. and they're going to hit submissions. And now you have Nicholas Morgali yes. beating people with old school closed guard omoplata sweeps, Mika Galvão doing old school closed guard jujitsu and people are looking at it like it's this brand new revolutionary thing. Like it's just discovered. And when you watch them win, you're like, that's old school one-on-one jujitsu. Yeah. I mean, it truly is. And yeah. people are, the new kids are out there show, you know, some of my students are like, Oh, did you see this? What is, it? I'm like, that's, that's jujitsu. Yeah. Right. Now, you know, you hear, you hear Gordon Ryan talking about, hmm. Now his latest thing is pressure from the mount. I mean, that's a whole that's a whole point of the mount. Yeah, that's a- <laughs> I mean, I mean that's 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 one oh one. I mean the, the most prestigious submission in jujitsu is pressure. Yeah. Is you are so dominant on top, they want it to stop before you've got a limb, before you've got their neck. You know, if your opponent is not paying a price on the bottom, you're doing it wrong. Mm. I mean, all of these things, it is a wonderful thing for me to see the whole cycle of jujitsu life. And right now is the prime time where people are truly seeing something for the first time that I've been preaching for a long time. I know old school guy, you know, Hickson is probably like rolling his eyes too. When people are like, oh, Nicholas Morgali, he's just a, he's an, a revelation. Yeah, it's like- I mean, he's incredibly good at what he does, but he's doing one-on-one jujitsu. There is nothing flashy about that guy's game. And it's, it's know, a pleasure to watch. It's a pleasure to see because they are dominating. Yeah. And it's what is old becomes new. Uh, I believe the Gracies have a, you know, they break down like kind of general concepts of each belt, what that, you know, the focus is or experience is. And they say, by the time you get the black belt, now you start to learn jujitsu. And man, is that true? Yeah. Everybody has a different path. And certainly I came up, I don't think there was a curriculum a written down curriculum. You know, it's a, a lot of the classes, Hickson didn't speak the best English. I remember him coaching at like the Copa Pacifica in 99 or 2000 or whatever it was. And he'd say, Sean, make for scapey, make for scapey. Like make for scapey. Yeah. Could you give me some details? I don't know. Foot on the hip. Where where do I put my wedge? You know, I'm trying to make for scapey, you know, Um, (laughs) but you know, it was a different way to learn. But I think that's what one of the benefits is it forced me to look at what he was doing with microscopic eyes, because I knew that audibly he was leaving out details, not intentionally, but because he didn't have a command of the English language. And it forced me to look and go, ah, look where his hip is. Look what he's doing with his hip and his left instep. He's turning that heel out, toes in, you know, and it forced me to really become an instructor to teach myself. Whereas nowadays, if your instructor goes, put your right foot on the heel, uh, put your right foot on the instep, you know, invert your hips to the outside, your right hand is a monkey grip, then you just listen and you do it and you don't question anything. Hmm. Because he didn't speak perfect English, it forced me to question and to really extrapolate what he was doing. So, you know, on the day, I probably wished it was articulated better, but I got to tell you, I'm grateful that it wasn't. That was a wonderful classroom to be in, to simply watch him doing perfect leveraged based jujitsu and force myself to extrapolate the details. 
And otherwise, it could be like holding their hand too much too. At some point, you have to take responsibility on learning that technique. Which, by the way, fantastic Hickson expression. I cannot pass that up. It's it's dead on. Um, <laughs> and the other thing is the language of jujitsu. You can go anywhere on the planet. You'd be Brazil speaking Portuguese, Japan speaking Japanese, anywhere, and not know the language, but still know jujitsu language. Yeah, it is a universal language. Um, you know, there's certainly different styles, and you know, I always tell my students, you you could silhouette a jiu-jitsu player without seeing their face and you can almost tell who their instructor is. Um, oh. You can tell the difference signature just by watching a silhouette. The martial art is the same. You know, my martial art is inclusive of things that we don't do on a regular basis. Certainly things, if I'm trying to win, you're never going to see me do, but they're certainly in the curriculum. Everybody has a handful. Like Hodger says, you know, he knows thousands of techniques. He used 10 to win. That's what he uses, 10 to win. And for every piece of competition footage or even watching him compete live, that's about right. I've seen him do 10 things. That's honestly all Hodger does. But he has a level of mastery that is so great that even if you know the defense, that's one of the wonderful things about jujitsu and teaching it to somebody else. If you have a 10-year head start, it's not like they can find the antidote in 10 minutes. You're so far ahead that their level of mastery and defending it is going up with you perfecting it and increasing it. And that's why you have some of these old professors, you get on the mat with them and you're like, yeah. How come I can't keep this guy in side control? Right. And he's a you know sixty-five year old coral belt, and you're twenty-five and you're a D one wrestler. And you, how's this possible? It's because microscopic movements based in leverage and mechanical advantage, and it takes a lifetime to really whittle those down to perfect technique. And you have such an efficiency with your movement that you roll with these guys, and they're not getting gassed. And you have a D one college wrestler that's just finding jujitsu. Now eventually he'll get there where he's using this very low leverage, but he's applying all his strength behind it. And he has no idea why this old guy is ah, moving out of the way. It's uh, That's the beauty of the martial art is there is no top. There is no, well, I got the black belt. I'm good now. I mean, technically, I'm three times the jiu-jitsu practitioner than I was May 4th of 08 when I got my black belt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not kidding. Three times the teacher the, I mean, my body's older and more beat up, but I have three times the information, the technical prowess, the efficiency of leverage. It's, it's not even comparable. You know, and that's an amazing aspect too, because I felt that when I opened my own school in 2014, and that is a different mindset. So there's like two-dimensional thinking, three-dimensional. You are actually four and fifth-dimensional thinking when you're a teacher. Keep going. What was that transition like becoming a teacher? That aspect of being a teacher and helping your own personal growth as a practitioner. For me, teaching only accelerated my learning. When I'm forced to articulate the nuances of a position and really dive in deep of the what, when, how, and, and why, it changes everything. And I got to tell you, when I learned jujitsu, it was, here's an ankle lock. Here's a kimura. And then the next day, here's a rear choke. Here's a back take. It was almost like random things. Assemble it how you will. You make your collage how you will. You know, now I'm sure you teach and all of the best instructors teach. They're like, you put this in play. They have three options to react. Here's the five things you do if they react this way. Here's the seven things you do if they react this way. And here's the two if they react this way. But you initiate that movement or that attack already ready for your auxiliary attack system. And it opens, like back when I was competing, I just knew, hell, I'm good at this. I'm going to hit that. And kind of that was the game plan. 
and it served me very well. Uh, yeah. Now, granted, back when I competed, there was no pro athletes. I think when I competed in the Pan Ams, I was competing against a dude in dental school. You know what I mean? It's like we were two dudes with regular jobs. Neither one of us were pro athletes. It was a very, very different game. Even though it's still called the same tournament, it was completely different. We're, we were all yeah. journeymen, just kind of yeah. enjoying and saying, oh, let me see how good I am at this. There's a tournament. Let me sign up. It was just very different. So there's no bragging. There's no ego. It's a very different thing than it is today. But today, your comprehensive understanding of the mechanics, of the flow chart, of the why you yeah. do it, when you do it, how you do it, and the base points of leverage is so much more fleshed out, at least at least for me and my curriculum. And the way you scaffold information is completely different. You know, the fundamental, the, fa- the real yeah. foundation that you're going to build upon and the sequence with which you teach. So one lesson cannot come after another lesson. It is strategically placed based on what you did before and how you schedule days. Like, for example, we do a Monday, Wednesday, and a Friday, and it's the same lesson, but we build on it. We add a couple of details on Wednesday, and we add a couple of details on Friday. The next week, Tuesday and Thursday, is a review of the previous weeks, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Love it. So at the end of two weeks, not only can you do it, you can teach it, man. I understand the nuances, and that's really... That was unheard of back then when I was coming up. I mean, literally, and because I traveled so much, I've seen every instructor. I've rolled with so many people, probably rolled with more people than just in my travels. I've rolled with every great and some of the most impressively decorated competitors. Some of them, there's a little bit lacking in the teaching department. Mm. Sometimes I've seen people get on the mat and they literally scratch their beard and go, okay, today, man, we do... Let's do ankle lock. Yeah, ankle lock. It's like they thought about it right then. They were just thinking, what? Yeah, yeah, ankle lock. And the next thing they think, they go, okay, and uh, oh, oh, if somebody make for for wrist lock, you defend it like, like, we went from ankle to wrist with with no no rhyme, just a random, like a gym. Here's a little gym. Should you find yourself there? Why would you find yourself there? We're not going to talk about that. But if you do, here's how, I mean, I am, I'm really pleased, really, when you think about it. Jiu-Jitsu came to America in 2003, and we're only 20 years later, and it has reached pretty damn oh. optimum efficiency. Yeah. It really has. That we've, we're, we're 95% of the way there. There may be 5% of the way to adjust, but whoo! I mean, the mechanics will continue to evolve, and people will come up with new, intriguing ways to do things. But the way that the best teachers out there are doing it, are they are arguably close to 100% efficiency, the way that they do it. And I got to tell you, I learned from all of them. I learned from every single one of them. Wow. That's amazing. I was going to ask you, like, what's a training week look like for you? And I love that because, yeah, it was a hodgepodge. Like, what are we going to do today? It looks like they made it up on the spot because they did. Versus like, let's do this one technique series a whole week and get all the adjustments on it and then review it. I absolutely love that about you. And um, another aspect too uh, so you start with Hicks and Gracie and Neville uh, wound up uh, going towards Hanzo Gracie. I believe you were the first black belt of Sean Williams. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Which obviously Williams Garden and everything. Another amazing guy. Okay, I'm going to ask you this because the belt means something, but it doesn't mean anything. What does the belt mean to you? Because it has meaning to it. Wearing a black belt, throw whatever stripes you want on it. You have to cover your own ass. What does the belt mean to you when you got that? All the work, all the attention you put on it all the training 
It depends on the context that you're asking that. But every time I hear somebody say the belt doesn't mean anything, you're full of shit. Of course the belt means something. It means that you dove down all the way and you reached the surface. It doesn't mean your, your trajectory is over. My God, like I've told you, since getting my black belt, I think I'm three times the instructor with the information and the ability to, to put it out there. But achieving the black belt is one of the greatest achievements of my life. And if anybody tells you differently that, oh, it ain't about the belt, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you, 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 you mean it's not about Henzo Gracie going, yeah, you're ready. Yeah, you're yeah. ready for this. You're out of your mind. Knock that crap off and back up. Moonwalk out of the building. Yeah. I don't care. Lose my number. Yeah. yeah it, it, now, it doesn't mean that the journey's over. It doesn't mean that I'm better than even some browns or maybe even some purples. I mean, my God, on the international level, it doesn't mean that. Oh, yeah. But it means that you've achieved a level that some of the greatest in the history of the sport have to agree and go, you know what? That guy, that guy, he's ready. And if that doesn't mean something to you, man, you're lying to yourself and everybody else out there. It's not the end all. And yes, like Hoyce says, it only covers two inches of your butt. We're not talking about like it means now you're a world champion or you can, you, you know, you can beat up Mike Tyson or whatever. But are you kidding me? It's yeah. just like somebody with an, a PhD from MIT. You telling me the diploma doesn't mean anything? Boom. You telling me it doesn't mean it? If you stopped two months earlier and you had almost the same, almost the same lessons, you didn't do anything in the last two months. But if you don't do the last two months, you don't get the degree. You telling me that's not important to you? Get out of here. Of course it's important to you. And I got to, right. I mean, the day that I got my black belt, you know, one of my favorite pictures, it's me and Williams and John Danaher with a full head of hair. Like oh. nobody remembers that the dude ever had hair. Who's that guy? Yeah. You know what I mean? Back May 4th of 08, the dude had a head of hair. It's uh, a, uh, you know, and especially now that John Danaher's become this mythical, one of, one oh, of the, yeah. you know, regarded as the, the, one, arguably one of the greatest jujitsu teachers known to man. And that's a dude that beat me with my belt. It's uh, to say that that moment wasn't important and yeah. monolithic in my life. You're out of your mind. I'm not going to look back and go, oh, it doesn't mean anything to me because my life is so amazing. No. This was the one that was beaten. This is the one that they held, and they beat my ass with it on the day that it was gifted to me and presented to me by two, I think, of the best instructors out in the game. And, yes, it means a lot to me. It absolutely means a lot to me. It's not the belt. It's not the cotton. It's not the material. But that level of acknowledgement, absolutely, it means the world to me. It really does. So much so that you opened up your own academy, Hollywood Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. What inspired, obviously, your love and passion for it, but like, you know, you didn't have to do that. You could have kept going to schools and things like that. What inspired you to open that? Well, realistically, what motivated me to keep it going this long is my kids. Hmm. But back at Hickson's, his son passed and he ended up going back to Brazil and I was doing a film in New York. And it really looked like the Hickson Academy was going to break up. Hmm. And, uh, you know, for a while there, Henry kept running oh classes. And it was just a very weird, bizarre time. And when I went over to Henzo's, I met Sean Williams and Danaher and all of those guys. And then Sean Williams came out. Mario Aiello, my instructor from Hickson's, who had left Hickson's because it looked like the future of the academy was a little bit unsure. So I rented out a place and put mats in it because I didn't want that to leave my life for wow. purely selfish reasons. I was like, if it, I had no 
inclination to start a business. I just wanted my friends and myself who have invested a lot of time in something to still have a place to learn this martial art. If that's going to go by the wayside, I'm going to have an auxiliary plan in place. For the same reason that you taught an auxiliary plan in my jiu-jitsu, I'm going to have it in my tutelage. I'm not going to be left without a mat to do this. It's that important to me. Yeah, they had to be just a crazy transition interim. And the rewarding aspect of teaching and keeping that going. Jiu-jitsu itself, it's real. And, and that's why I was so excited to invite you on the show because you're a real dude with this. It's not just like, hey, I'm doing this for a workout. Uh, you see the passion and speaking, which I do have to touch base on this. And that is Born a Champion. Not only was this a great movie, you literally see the passion, but you wrote the movie. You could feel your passion for that as you're watching this. What inspired you to write this film and make this come to life? You know, I'll tell you, are you familiar with the MMA Underground? Mm. Well, the MMA Underground is like the biggest fight forum, I think, probably out there, period. And I was shifting through like the messages and somebody said, hey, what's your best fight story? Write your best fight story. And I was sitting in bed one night and I wrote this story. Um, I didn't post it anywhere. And then I ended up converting it into a script. And that was back in 2007. Oh. And it took all the way to 2019 to get it produced. So that tells you how long it takes to get a film actually funded and put into action. But it was such a huge part of my life. I mean, that's where my heart was. And my heart was in old school jujitsu. And my era coming around back then, it was brand new. And there were challenge matches. And it wasn't, it was the wild, wild west. Yeah. And so I wrote that story about a fictitious character and I had an opportunity to put it on film. I got the opportunity to create this character, act in it, act this character and cast my two sons to play his children. So the oh, oldest version wow. of my son is played by Charlie and the youngest version of my son is played by Porter, my youngest son. So wow. it was uh, it was a true, uh, it, it was one of the highlights of my acting career. It really was because you know, a lot of people write about their passion. This is not just my passion. It occupies more real estate in my life than acting does. It really does. Jiu-jitsu is, I taught last night, trained for three hours, and I'll do it again tonight. It's that big of a part of my life. And yeah, the story is really gripping and enticed you the whole way through. And legit, jiu-jitsu being applied throughout. And also an interesting aspect of that film is there no stun doubles? You get everybody in the film was doing their own fight scenes and sparring, correct? Yeah, you know, I cast Edson Barbosa. Mm. Um, thankfully, he didn't remove my legs from my hips. <laughs> okay, so, um, that dude's scary. Um, you know, going through the fight sequence with him, I think he was a brown belt at the time, so he's very good at jujitsu anyway. So the choreography. We didn't even rehearse it. It was just like, hey, you do this. I'm going to do that. You do that. You do that. And then I'll sweep you this. And then we'll do it. Okay, cool. And we just hit it because he, he's, you know, he's that good. He's a jujitsu dude for a very, very long time. And it was a wonderful experience. When you're doing it with guys of that ilk, it's like speaking a language. I'm going to ask you a question. You respond with this. You don't need to rehearse. You just do it. And I had an opportunity to cast the lead character's original sensei. I sent one email to Henzo Gracie. Yeah. And he emailed me back. He said, where do I need to be and when do you need me there? Wow. And I got to tell you, brother, it was one of the most magical moments of my life. I honestly didn't think, I just wanted to put it out there. I didn't expect he'd say, yeah, I'll 
be in your movie. I have free time. He didn't ask any questions. He just said, I'm there. When do you need me where? And it was like, brother, it almost brought tears to my eyes. Reading that email, that correspondence was like, wow, man. I got to tell you, of everybody that I've met in this, of all those people that I look up to, that is a sound individual, man. Mm. He is he is a hero of mine just as a father, as a man, as a leader, as a jujitsu practitioner, as a dude that never turned away from any challenge. I mean, and that gesture really left a mark on me in a good way. I can't say enough about that dude. Wow. Wow. That's so profound, man. Also, I liked in the movie, you touched base on the striker versus jujitsu guy, and he's just giving a lot of shit. Uh, <laughs> I like all styles, bro. I'm not super prejudiced or anything, but I've heard that quite a bit. What's the point of going on training on the ground if I can just knock you out on your feet? And it's like, bro, I really appreciate that you put that in the film. So it was, <laughs> that's about how it goes. You know, it is. And, and everybody that back a long time ago, there was challenge matches. Guys would come in and it was it was like Gracie's in action one and two. It was like by the playbook. It was a stomp kick to a clinch, to a body lock takedown, to a mount, to a gift wrap, to some slaps, to they turn over to a choke. It's kind of uncanny how humans or most animals react similarly under similar situations. And there's so much truth in that. It was neat to throw that out there. And certainly back when people were one disciplined martial artists, you know, if you don't know grappling and somebody else does, I mean, you, you have a, I guess you have a lottery chance of rendering them unconscious when they're closing the distance to clinch or a lottery chance. But outside of that, it's probably not going to go your way. And the proof is in history. It's in empirical evidence. It's not theoretical. It's all documented. Everybody knows what happens. And, uh, same thing happened to me. You know, I was a Taekwondo guy the first time I rolled with Matt Akins. And not only did he beat me, he beat me comprehensively. He could do it over and over again against my will. And I didn't even have a hope in hell of defending against it. That's how profound it was for me. That was the sales ticket. And there's two types of people in the world. The type of person's like, well, you know, I would have groin shot and eye gouged. And, and yeah. then there's the other person like me that's like, no, 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 no. If I met that dude in a dark alley, he'd leave with everything that I find wonderful about this world. And there's nothing I could do to stop it. I'm not okay living with that. So I had to go, what do I need to learn in case I meet this dude in an alley? Oh, it's that stuff? Sign me up. Absolutely amazing, man. I mean, you also did Frank and Penelope. You wrote, right? I believe there's works of a Boondock Saints 3 and martial arts. What's everything, overall future goals for you? Really, my future goals are my family. Everything else is second place. Jiu-jitsu is always going to be in my life, my wife's life, my boy's life. It's a huge part of our everyday existence. Uh, both of my boys wrestle and do jiu-jitsu on the daily basis. Um, so that and everything else really is in a backseat. I wrote and directed Frank and Penelope. I even put a little fight uh, Easter egg in there. Uh, making fun of a, a, a Chad that thinks he knows UFC, trains UFC. So... You know, that, there's going to be a little nugget on that in everything that I ever do. I have Nefarious out now, so I'm busy yes. with the, the press tour for that. You yeah. can stream that right now, or it's yeah. still in some theaters. It's been in theaters now for going on three months. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that people are plugging into that. But, you know, just every day, trying to be a little bit better than I was yesterday. Mm. And that means a better father, better husband, a better jujitsu instructor. Um, to all of my students as well as my family. But that's really the goal. That's the goal. And everything else takes a backseat 
I'm very grateful that I hadn't had to get a real job in 30 years and that my life has afforded me the ability to train jujitsu and to spend my time with something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And it's not lost on me that I do have the opportunity to do that. So I started a foundation called the Jiu-Jitsu Heirloom, and I teach kids for free all the time. I teach a cross-section of people for absolute free. Now, you have to qualify. You have to be a sound individual. You have to be a net asset to our mat. But that's part of my giving back and my legacy. I think this can be such a powerful element of change in kids' lives, you know, some single-parent kids, kids without a father figure. And so our goal is to help it change lives like it did mine. And my life was never completely out of whack, but my God, it made every aspect of my life so much better. I know for a fact that it will do that to some lives that are maybe spinning out of control or close to it or, or don't have, or weren't provided all of the wonderful guarantees of success. This will correct it, man. It really will. This little bit of bottled, controlled environment adversity will change the kid's life, man. Man, again, you're an amazing model for it and spokesman of it. You live it. It permeates throughout your life. And that's why I was just so excited to have you on the show, man. I've been following your career for a long time, but your jujitsu side of things, man, it's awesome. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. And I look forward to the future. I appreciate everything, brother. Take care. God bless. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.